The reading is from Colossians 3, verses 12 to 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Excellent. Good evening, everyone. Flip, I thought I was on my own there. That got scary for a second. Gosh. As Paul said, my name is Josh. It's uh, brilliant to be with you this evening to unpack this packet, uh, passage a little bit and um, talk a little bit about what this passage has done in me over the last couple of weeks. Um, it is the third time I've given this talk, but that's a good thing. That means third time's a charm. You get the best one. Okay, so if you've heard it already, you're in for an even better experience this evening, trust me, okay. Um, I want to start by just exploring a little bit about what makes you, you, okay? What makes you, you? Who are you, okay? There are lots of things in our world that try to tell us who we are. We have passports, identity forms that tell us who we are, but that isn't the complete picture of who we are. I had a passport that for six years said that I was a female, and I just never got it changed and never got it questioned, so it was fine. Um, so passports don't necessarily give us the complete picture of who we are. There are lots of things that define who we are. I want to have a little experiment. I want you to spend 30 seconds speaking to somebody that you've not spoken to yet. I know, awkward when you get forced to introduce yourself to somebody. But spend 30 seconds, tell somebody who you are, and then spend another 30 seconds listening to who the other person is, okay? Introduce yourself to somebody. Go. Okay, brilliant. Brilliant, thanks for doing that. I promised it would be 30 seconds each. Sounds like some of you really indulged in getting to talk about yourself. That's great, I love that, no problem. Hopefully you met somebody new. You, need, you see, sometimes it's not just extra things outside of us that define us incorrectly or correctly. Sometimes we define ourselves incorrectly or correctly. Sometimes we use social media to put out an image of ourselves that is better than what it is. Sometimes we do that in person. I was out with some friends, uh, a group of friends who were all doctors recently, and we went uh, to a bar which where there were loads of doctors. And instead of spending the whole night me telling everybody, look, listen, I'm not a doctor. No, sorry, I'm not a doctor. No, I'm not a doctor. My friends gave me a little script to say to people. They said, look, just when anybody asks, just say, you're Josh, you're working in ED, 
in Kakadi, and if they ask how it's going, just say, it's going terribly, don't ask me about it. And I said it, and to every person I said this to, they were like, oh yeah, I bet that sounds awful, yeah, I bet that's horrible. <laughs> Obviously that was lying, I'm sorry, that was a lie, that's not good, but sometimes we don't even portray ourselves clearly. But who we are is important. The reason why we did that little experiment there is because actually there's been some sociological research into how many times you need to ask somebody who they are before you really get to who they are. And the definition of who somebody is, we reckon, probably sits when we start talking about things that we believe in, our beliefs, our passions. The word passion comes from the Latin passio, to suffer. What are the things that you're willing to suffer for? What sets the direction of your life, your beliefs? Because we believe, I guess, that everything else flows from that place. Even small decisions, even big decisions, they all flow from what you believe. What do you believe? What way are you, are you going? I believe that if you're here this evening, for some reason, whether small or great, you're here to explore the way of Jesus. That might be for a very small reason. You might have been dragged along, but you still said yes to the invitation. There's still something about coming here, and we're here for Jesus. There's still something about coming here, and this person called Jesus, that is intriguing you on some level. And this way, this way of Jesus has been given to us. It's a one led by one who is blameless and self-sacrificing. Last week, Libby talked about Jesus being the one who runs towards our regrets and our failures. One who carries the weight of our mistakes so that we don't have to. One who loves us relentlessly and is desperate to give us life in all of its fullness. He's forever faithful, forever kind, much more than I could ever imagine. That this one who leads this way, according to the Psalms, which is a book in the Bible, says, He formed me. He knows my thoughts and the things that I say, the words on my lips. His thoughts of me are innumerable and precious. It says in the book of Micah, another book in the Bible, that He tread our iniquities underfoot and cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. All of our mistakes, all of our wrongdoings and our misgivings cast into the depths of the sea. It says that he despises shame and longs to give us freedom and life. This person is called Jesus, and that's why we're here. He's come to give us a life of radical formation and action, unstoppable joy and impossible mission, steadfast peace and certain destiny. We can trust in his way, particularly in our time, our current time, our present time of cultural calamity, compromise and uncertainty. I want to talk this evening, and I believe our, spirit, uh, our passage this evening is all about spiritual formation. It's all about spiritual formation. Sometimes that term is a term that is given to the religious, the theological ones of us. It's left in a high and lofty place. But actually, I think when you unpack spiritual formation, you discover that that is something that is happening all of the time, constantly. You are being spiritually formed. The question isn't, are you being spiritually formed? Rather, it's what is spiritually forming you? Our culture, our world, here in the West, here in Edinburgh, here in Scotland, is forming us. And spiritual formation is the formation of those things at the very core of who we are, those beliefs, 
those things that make you you, those things that make me me. From Squid Game to Vigil to Sex Education, those are TV shows for the uninitiated. From Thrift Shop Fashion to Lucy and Yak to ASOS Cheap Fast Fashion. From casual sex to dating apps to love the good old-fashioned way, whatever that means. From good school versus bad school to job promotions or redundancies, gender ethics and sexual orientation, healthy family dynamics to blazing rows on a Sunday afternoon. Blogs and vlogs and how to raise your kids from mask or no va mask, vax or no vax, Labour or Tories, so David Amos stabbed to death, to drone strikes in Syria. Should we be in the Middle East at all? Can I empathise with the Taliban? Isn't this all appalling and there's no righteous one on either side? In the end, when we bleed, don't we all bleed the same? Societal fear and modern and physical and spiritual slavery. Wow, cheery stuff to end your Sunday with. If you're going through life unaffected by this stuff, if none of this stuff is kind of ringing true, if you're kind of untouched by what's happening in our culture and in our world, good or bad, and you feel totally at bliss and at peace with how the world is turning and how you're fitting within it, that's wonderful. Truly, that's wonderful. In fact, my encouragement to you, write a book, start a podcast, start a YouTube channel, because trust me, people are going to want to hear how you cracked the code. But if you're anything like me, and you feel the weight of spiritual formation from culture, not just on your lifestyle or your friend groups, but on your very soul and the souls of your family and friends, and you long for purpose in an uncertain world, or you're crying out for a tranquil, safe haven from your stressful reality, then listen, because I wonder if our passage has some life for you. There is another way. There is another way. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, was a prominent Christian uh, in Germany in the 1930s, a theologian, deep thinker. And he was a big part of the German church's resistance to the Nazi regime in the Third Reich. And in the time that he was thinking deeply about who Jesus was and how to follow him, the state, Hitler, was trying to dictate how the church would worship Jesus. In fact, they were taking away the Old Testament from the Bible. They were seeping in anti-Semitic messages. The church was becoming a nationalistic, cog in this horrible war machine that Hitler was crafting. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was part of signing a decree at the formation of what was called the Confessing Church, and this decree stated that they would trust in Jesus alone to be the one who forms them spiritually, not the state, not the Third Reich, not Hitler. He decided to start this community in a place called Finkenwald, where it was a kind of seminary where Christians would gather to practice spiritual disciplines, to try and dive deep into scripture and worship, letting the message of Christ dwell richly within them, as Paul says, to use Paul's language. And some friends of Bonhoeffer began to criticize, or not necessarily criticize, but maybe question what was going on at Finkenwald. It sounded intense. It sounded maybe spiritually indulgent. And a friend of Bonhoeffer's, Niesel, came to visit. And Bonhoeffer took Niesel on a rowing trip along the Ode Sound and up a little hill, far away from Finkenwald, taken to another place that, well, wasn't too far, where they could see German fighter planes landing and taking off. They could see German soldiers goose-stepping and training, marching. And Bonhoeffer, as they witnessed this, explained to Niesel that this generation of men were preparing for a different kind of kingdom. They were, they were preparing for a kingdom of hardness and cruelty. 
The men that they were looking at were being spiritually formed by the Third Reich. And as they watched, Bonhoeffer explained to Niesel, if the Nazis are to be defeated, it is necessary to propose a superior discipline. You have to be stronger than these tormentors that you find everywhere today. What he was doing in Finkenwald had to be stronger than what Hitler was doing with his army. There's a book that I've recently read called Beautiful Resistance by John Tyson. And in it, he talks about the power of letting Jesus be the one who spiritually forms you, not culture, not the world around us. And he says this, discipleship has to be stronger than spiritual formation. Loyalty must be stronger than compromise. This must be stronger than that. We don't live in 1930s Germany where our, the heads of our state are pushing us into a fascist regime and trying to change the way in which we worship. But I do still believe that cultural formation is happening constantly around us. You are being fought for at the very core of who you are. Whether it's capitalism, socialism, secularism, whether it's the pornification of our culture, whether it's technology, social media, post, 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 post modernity, whatever it is, it's fighting to define you at the very core of your being, where your beliefs lie. Our church has a vision, and the vision is to be whole life disciples. And if we're going to be whole life disciples of Jesus and not of our culture, then our spiritual formation has to be stronger than the formation we are receiving all around us. This has to be stronger than that. So we need to work out who we are, what we wear, that's Paul's language, that means the virtues by which we live by, what we do and how we do it. We are not the culture around us. We are far more beautiful than that. Our passage, I believe, is a call to true life-giving spiritual formation. It's a call to resistance, and it's a call we cannot afford to ignore. So who are we? Well, Paul opens our passage by saying very clearly, we are chosen, holy, and dearly loved. You are chosen. You are chosen. By the author of the universe, you have been chosen. It's a powerful concept to be chosen. We're not lost, looking to be molded, wandering the landscape, hoping that an unfailing romance might define who we are, or a dream vocation will finally lock everything into place. No, already we have been chosen. Our path has been chosen. Our plans that God has for us are there to prosper us. They're made with our names stamped on them. We've already been found, sought after, and bought at a price. We see this in the book of Hosea in the Bible. It's a story, it's a picture of God chasing after his people again and again and again and again, despite their failings. It happens through the life of this guy called Gomer, who gets instructed by God to go and marry this woman called Hosea. And despite Hosea letting him down again and again and again, Gomer goes back again and again and again to show that he loves her, that he's there for her, he will be faithful to her. And that's a picture of God with us. He chooses us. He pursues us relentlessly. I don't know if you've ever seen those videos on Instagram or on YouTube. Uh, 
maybe you haven't, maybe they're staged. I've seen a number of them. Maybe it's a trend. Maybe I just found myself down a YouTube rabbit hole. But there are these videos where these kids on their birthday or Christmas day or whatever it is, they're opening up their presents and they'll open up this one present and it'll be like an officially signed document. And you can feel the tension in the video in the air. And what it is, is that this kid is being officially adopted by this family that he's been a part of or she's been a part of. It's like the moment that he's finding out he's going to be officially a part of this family. And it flipping gets me every time. And I wonder if it gets me because it taps into one of our deepest needs as a human to be chosen, to be wanted, to be known. God, the author of all things, has chosen you. When you were beautifully and wonderfully made, he knit you together in your mother's womb, as the psalmist tells us. He chose you when he was tortured and broken and doubting on the cross. He died for you. Paul says earlier in this letter that his act of dying for you actually now makes you not only chosen but holy. You are chosen, you are holy. And it makes you holy without accusation and without blemish in the eyes of God. The one who says we are not condemned but offers us a new way of living which rejects selfish living and compromise for a way of freedom and joy. You are chosen, you are holy, and you are dearly loved. If there's one important message of Christianity that should be resounded everywhere we go, make no mistake. Yeah, I'm sure the church has done all, made all sorts of mistakes in, in sending its message out to the masses. Absolutely. And sometimes we, we, we say things that we then regret later, and sometimes we get things wrong, and sometimes we say things that really alienate people. But the core of the message of Jesus is very simple. It's that you are dearly loved. You are dearly loved. It's unfathomable, it's unthinkable, it's undeserved, but it's true. Never let the wonder and the awe of that truth go stale in your day. If I woke up every morning and went to bed every evening reminding myself that God loves me, I might find myself a lot less stressed, a lot less filled with tension, a lot less filled with anxiety. The truth that God loves me. The Bible is a collection of books telling many different stories and telling history and songs and poetry. But really, it's one truth from beginning to end. It's that God loves us. It's a love letter written to Josh. It's a love letter written to Laura or Dom or Paul. It's a love letter written to you. God loves you. We are chosen, we are holy, and we are dearly loved. When we discover that, when we believe that, when we let that sink in, it changes the way we live. It gives us new clothes to wear. So, what do we wear? Paul uses this language of clothing ourselves. He mentions five things. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. We see a similar list like this in the book of Galatians, a letter that he wrote to the church. He calls them gifts of the Spirit, fruits of the Spirit, you see, what we clothe ourselves with, that by which the virtues we live by, it matters. It truly matters. You see, our society and our culture would have you focus on you. Live your best life. Make yourself the best version that you can. Self-help. There's whole sections of that throughout libraries, wherever you go. Self-help. 
There's never a section called help others. You see, the way of Jesus doesn't end with us. When we allow Jesus to form our lives, it doesn't end with me. It flows through me to others. I spent time working with people going through recovery, uh, looking at the 12-step program. I'm sure you may have heard of it. It was developed um, for Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, And there's a well-known truth that if you, with absolute commitment and diligence, work hard at the first 11 steps, but you miss out the 12th and final step, you are almost certain to relapse. The 12th and final step is essentially this. Take what you've learned and give it to others. As you have been helped, help others. It completes the circle because the most effective story, the most effective way of being formed doesn't end with you. It ends by giving what you have been freely given. You see, when we clothe ourselves with the clothes of Jesus, it actually doesn't just change us, it changes the atmosphere of the places that we go into. I learned this best when I worked in prisons. I used to work in prisons, uh, helping chaplaincies uh, speak about Jesus. And uh, I do a bit of volunteering in that stuff now, but nowhere near as much as I used to. And when I first started, I was very eager, very energetic, very full of passion and full of, I know the way to live and I'm going to tell you how to live. And this is, you've got this hope in Jesus. You need to hear all about it. Like great intentions, uh, but not necessarily that effective in making friends. <laughs> You see, when I took off my saviour complex clothes and I put on the clothes of Jesus, when I wore things like passion, compassion, and patience, I made friends, not converts. I built relationships, not a bank of show-off preacher stories. Which is ironic, because I'm using it in a preach right now. (laughs) My point is no progress was ever made until I put on the clothes that Jesus gave me to wear. I saw hearts soften and I heard stories of encounters with Jesus in cramped prison cells. I watched these scary guys from different worlds to mine teared up and prayed their first prayers. It wasn't me and my well-packaged agenda, it was Jesus and his clothes on me that brought heaven to earth in those moments. And you know, he's still doing it now. When you listen with patience to that frustrated family member, when you respond to aggravation and wrongdoing from that stranger with kindness, when you meet frustration and tension from your colleagues with gentleness, and when in an era of flexing and ego-serving behavior in real life and online, networking and selling ourselves to the next like or follow, you instead decide to exhibit humility, you're actually clothing yourself with the virtues of Jesus. You're allowing your life to be spiritually formed by the author of love instead of formed by our culture. You're transforming the culture to be just like heaven. Someone said excellence isn't the showcasing of perfection, but rather a gallery display of thousands of tiny decisions executed with intention. I'll say it again. Excellence isn't the showcasing of perfection, but rather a gallery display of thousands of tiny decisions executed with intention. The excellence of the kingdom of heaven is often, I believe, more powerfully exhibited in the tiny decisions that we make every day to clothe ourselves with the clothes of Jesus than it ever is about the big stage moments that we might dream of. 
If I was foolish enough to believe that this was me living out my life of following Jesus, this was it, this was the goal of it, I've completely missed the point. No, it's when, it talked to me on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, talk to me about those tiny decisions I'm making every day to choose the clothes of Jesus, not anything from culture. That's when the kingdom's really being built and formed. It's out there by your practice and your discipline. What if when Jesus promised life in all of its fullness, he didn't mean that we would get everything we ever wanted in life? He meant that in the fullness of life, he would go with us and we could go with him and know life in the ups and the downs, the mountains and the valleys, just by putting on the clothes that he's given us to wear. So how do I put them on? Well, as I said, Paul mentions a similar list in a previous uh, letter uh, in Galatians, and he talks about that these gifts, these clothes, they come from the Spirit. So I'm talking about daily. Every day you're waking up and you're going to bed and you're praying and you're asking God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me your Spirit again that I might be clothed the way that you are clothed, God, that I might be able to exhibit the things that you exhibit. I believe that you don't have to believe in Jesus to exhibit some of these things. But what I'm saying is, is when you do believe in Jesus and you ask for his clothes, his version of kindness, his version of gentleness, his version of compassion, it's way more than any standard the world ever gives. And it impacts way further than you'd ever believe. We get these clothes from the Spirit. Invite the Holy Spirit into your day. It will change your day. So that's who we are. That's what we wear. What do we do? We bear with one another. I love that bit. The moment I hear it from Paul, I imagine all of those flipping, annoying people I've got to bear with every single day. Thank goodness, Paul's on my side. He gets it, right? Yeah, don't worry, Josh. You've got to bear with some people, but it's all good. Problem is, when I spend a little bit longer thinking about that, I start to wonder, I wonder if anyone's bearing with me. It's impossible to imagine, right? That's why you're all laughing, of course. But statistically, I suppose somebody is probably bearing with me somewhere. Bear with one another. Bear with one another. You know, words here are important as well. Philosopher and modern-day thinker Marshall Mathers, a.k.a. Eminem, put it like this. Words, they can be great or they can degrade, or even worse, they can teach hate. Our culture teaches us to use our words to degrade, to humiliate, to bring people down, to cancel people. You know, if our words can be used as a weapon to bring people down, I wonder if they can also be used as a weapon to fight things like anxiety and insecurity and certainty and loneliness. The Bible says words give life as well as death. When we bear with one another, we can use our words to encourage one another, to reach out to one another. What else do we do? We forgive. We forgive one another. We forgive like Jesus. That's a high standard of forgiveness. It's easier said than done. Some of us in life have never really had to forgive very much, and that's a wonderful, wonderful thing, but some of us are really struggling with forgiveness. Some of us have been really, really wronged by somebody or some people or some circumstances in our pasts. Forgiveness can be a journey and a long journey for people. Corrie Ten Boom, who spent time in a concentration camp and watched her family members die in front of her eyes at the hands of Nazi guards, she describes the ocean of God's love that she felt when she stood in front of one of those ex-guards at a talk that she gave after she survived the Holocaust. 
And she stood in front of this guard and forgave him. She said when she shook his hand, it's like she felt the power of God flowing through her arm. You never look more like Jesus than when you forgive. Sometimes we don't have to forgive. It's not so much about forgiving other people. It's about forgiving ourselves. Forgive. And lastly, put on love. Put on love. We're told in 1 Corinthians that love is the greatest of faith and hope and love. Love is the greatest. Putting on love is so wonderful because actually God is described as being love itself. In 1 John chapter 4, it says, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You want to know what God looks like? He looks like love. Like the ABC band song goes, he is the look of love. Put on love, love compassionately. Love without seeking to to receive. Love, love. Okay, so I want to finish up by giving you three practical hows. This is is what I want you to go into your week with. This is what I'm going to be trying to go into my week with. Trust me, this is stuff I've not cracked. I'm working this out with you. But firstly, I want you to let peace rule. Paul says in our passage, let peace rule in your hearts. The picture we're given there from the Greek is that peace is like an umpire sitting above the game, watching every move, every turn, every play, every hit, making judgments, making calls on everything from a place of peace. What would it look like this week if your every day was being ruled by peace? That doesn't mean letting people walk over you. That doesn't mean just being wet. But it means letting peace rule. Let peace rule in your workplace. Let peace rule at the dinner table. Let peace rule in your own mind when those thoughts rage late at night. Let peace rule. Jesus is described as the Prince of Peace in Isaiah. Let him be the ruler, a ruler of peace in your week. Secondly, I want you to practice gratitude. Paul talks often in Ephesians and Thessalonians and in our passage about thanking God for everything. I've worked here at this church for a time. I've worked for a Christian charity. I have uh, received counseling. I have uh, been mentored by various people. And I can tell you, in each one of those spheres, I have been told by different people that practicing gratitude will change your life. I've been in staff meetings where we've made gratitude lists. I've been in counseling sessions where they said, you should try waking up and going to sleep, remembering the things that you're thankful for. I've chatted to mentors who've told me stories about when they started to practice gratitude, it changed their day. No matter the storm in your life, there are always things that you can be thankful for. Practice gratitude this week and watch how it changes. Changes your day, changes who you are. And lastly, I want you to let the message of Christ dwell richly within you. What a beautiful, poetic phrasing. Paul gives us a load of examples of how we can do that in our passage. But really what that means is what we were talking about earlier. Let yourself, at the very core of who you are, be spiritually formed by Jesus. If we're going to let peace rule, practice gratitude, and let this message dwell richly within us, this is going to take discipline. And sometimes as a church, we're really good at telling this message about, um, do you know, it's not about what you do, it's about what Jesus did for you. And that's true. 
I'm not saying that's untrue. When that comes to your forgiveness, when that comes to the manner of your salvation, when that comes to how much God loves you, absolutely true. It's not about you. You can't make God love you more. You can't make him love you less. It's about him and him alone. He's already chosen you. You are already dearly, dearly loved. But sometimes that distracts us. Because when it comes to spiritual formation, when it comes to practicing the way, following Jesus in our everyday, it's actually got a lot to do with what we do. It's about discipline. It's about praying every day. It's about reading scripture. It's about not just reading it, but chewing on it, letting it wash in deep within us. If we're talking about changing and forming your core beliefs, the innermost parts of you, you've got to spend time saturating, marinating in this stuff. It's about discipline. It's about walking it out. It's about practicing. It's not about Sunday. It's about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, going on and on and on and on. So to finish up, I'm going to pray for us. And uh, the way this is going to work, so I'd love us, um, in a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand. And um, I want you to stand um, because I think physically standing, if you're able, I think physically standing is just a wonderful way of saying, I'm taking this seriously. And I think when it comes to the war that is raging for who you are, you need to take a stand. You know, Bonhoeffer stood with Niesel and they watched physically the effects of what culture can do when you, when they, when you let it rule in your life. And they stood opposite to it saying, this has to be stronger than that. I'm getting sick and tired and worn out by the spiritual formation of our culture. I want to say yes to the spiritual formation of Jesus. And I need to say yes every day. Sometimes every hour of every day, I've got to make that choice again and again and again to put on those clothes, to choose his way, to practice his way. So, if you're up for that too and you want to stand with me, I'm going to invite you to stand. If you can't stand or you don't want to stand, that's absolutely okay. But I believe that there are some people who need to stand tonight. But all of us, I'm going to pray for all of us. So, if you'd like to stand, I'd like you to stand. If you're able, if you'd like to. And the banner is just going to come up. And as Paul has already done, we believe that God is alive and doing stuff today, that he's here by his Holy Spirit already, already within us, forming us. I want us to take just 30 seconds right now. You can close your eyes, and I want you to go to that inner place, who you are. You are precious in that place. You are a treasure of great cost. A pearl of great price. You are chosen and holy in his eyes and dearly loved. God has formed you and made you for a purpose. God longs to be the one who forms you, continues to form you in this place. Because nowhere else will satisfy, nowhere else will do you any favours. Our world, however beautiful, but also however scary and confusing, 
it will leave you without more than with. I, I love life. I love our city. I love where I live. It's great. I love our culture. I love our time. But it is not ever going to form me into who I really, really am made to be. Only Jesus can. So in that place, I just invite you, just humbly, if you want to, in your heart, invite the Holy Spirit into that place. You've made a stand that you don't want to be formed by the things of the world and our culture. You want to be formed by Jesus. Father, I pray for all of us in this room, whether we're standing or sitting, whether we're able to stand or not able to stand, God, I pray for us. I thank you that you choose us, that you love us, and that you wash us, make us clean, make us holy in your eyes by your self-sacrifice. God, you are so good and so kind and so awesome. And you are the author of love. You are love itself. So I don't just pray for now, I pray for, for our tomorrows. I pray that you would keep us disciplined, that we would be set firm in following you, that this way of living would be stronger in our lives than any other option. God, if there's forgiveness that we need for where we've got it wrong, which is separating us from being formed by you in our inner places, then God, I just ask that straight away you would remind us that it is finished. You said that on the cross. It is finished. Sin has no power over your life anymore. God, if we're struggling to forgive others and we're hurt and we're wounded and that's a barrier to your formation in our hearts, I pray that you would fill us with courage and lightness and remind us that your burden is light, your yoke is easy, that we can put our burdens on your shoulders, we can trust you with them, so that we can allow you to form us. Holy Spirit, come, we need your help. I can't do this without you, I can't do my every days without you, God. Clothe us in your clothes. Thank you for who you are, Jesus. And now we come to the altar, this old phrase that means we, we approach you boldly in worship. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.